0: Chapter 5 is the chapter of faith that overcomes the world. Now, I think that John the Apostle has done great service to the church to outline what the world is and what its problem is and how every professing born-again Christian is to be an overcomer over the world. The only kind of Christianity that is worthy of our faith is Christianity that overcomes the world. Welcome today to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Goller. 1 John chapter 5 has been a tremendous blessing to my soul this year. I was asked to preach a series on walking in the light, and I got into 1 John chapter 1, which refers to that, and then I realized that the whole book has one theme, the theme of fellowship and communion with God. And as I researched, as I studied, I realized that the whole book of First John is about being brought into this koinonia fellowship, partnership with the Father and with the Lord Jesus. And if we have the Father, we have the Son. If we have the Son, we have the Father. And we have all of the Father and all of the Son. And this book just opened up chapter after chapter. Today we come to the final chapter, chapter 5, and we'll be giving you an outline of the book and setting it all out. So I hope that you will stay tuned, join with us right through the program as we dig into 1 John chapter 5, and that chapter is entitled The Faith That Overcomes the World. We have a hymn today, Oh, for a Thousand Times, Tongues to sing. And then our closing word is on the law of no more mention. Don't you dare go digging up past sins. That's not the business of the born again, blood washed Christian. And so today's program is filled with these gospel truths. May the Lord minister to your heart and bless you richly. Through His Word today, chapter one, verse three, as the key, that we may have fellowship with the Father and the Son. That's the thesis of this whole book of First John. The word fellowship is koinonia, partnership, to be in communion, union, and in partnership with the Father. And the Son. And in chapter one, we learn how this happens. It happens by a revelation of the Son, by a revelation of God's grace and the blood, the blood that cleanseth us and keeps on cleansing us. Chapter two is what happens. We mark there are ten things in chapter two. Of what happens when you're born again and brought into the family of God. One outstanding one is that we keep his commandments, the laws written in our hearts, and they are not grievous unto us. Chapter three is, By whom does this happen? Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Chapter four is, Who cares? John cared. The false prophets don't care. But every born a Christian cares for the knowledge of the true Savior, that he is come in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. Chapter 5 is the chapter of faith that overcomes the world. And you'll see in verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world now i think that john the apostle has done great service to the church to outline what the world is and what its problem is and how every professing born again christian is to be an overcomer over the world the only kind of christianity that is worthy of our faith is Christianity that overcomes the world. If it doesn't enable you to be a new creature, a new man, a new woman, to live a new life and get victory over the world, then it is hardly even worthy of preaching. Now, the Bible ends in the book of Revelation with those who overcame Them by the blood of the Lamb. The enemies, the persecutors, and the false teachers of the end times. The church, the Christian, overcomes by the power of faith. And so in this chapter, we want to study overcoming the world. Conquering faith. Faith that enables us to say no to the world, and to triumph through the Lord Jesus. And I think you can see here in this chapter that John, the writer, wanted his readers to have this victorious faith. And I trust that you tonight can say, I have that. I have something of that. And my heart's desire is that I might have more of that overcoming faith. So let's look in this chapter for a few things that mark overcoming faith. The first one, verse 1, that it is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now you'll notice that this is more than just knowledge. It's more than just assent. It is more than just saying, I know to have this faith it is to be convinced and to believe with all your heart that the Lord Jesus is indeed the Christ sent by God. Now, this really is a loaded statement. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. There's a whole lot more than just saying, do you believe on Jesus? Do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe in the Jesus the church preaches? Whatever. No, this is believing that he's the Christ, the sent one, the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. Now, remember, these, this letter was written to people who were be living really on the cusp of Old Testament life. This was the, still the first century, getting close to the end of it, yes, but still... Uh, not really developed as we would be today in the church at large, but in a world that was still thinking about the Messiah that was promised. And John's conviction and John's message is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the sent one. Now, this kind of personal faith, whosoever believeth, that Jesus is the Christ, and it all comes down to this personal faith, that he came and he was sent by the Father for you, for you. Not just for the masses, not just for Christians in their nations and cultures, but for you. If you're a real personal believer, then you can truly say in your heart tonight, That this Son of God, this man Christ Jesus, came into the world for me, to redeem me. It also means that by this personal faith, that Jesus lived a sinless life for you. Now, none of us claim to be sin-free. None of us claim to have done all the will of God all of the time, all of our lives. But the Lord Jesus did, and he did it for us individually. That's personal faith. It also means that Jesus died on the cross, a substitutionary death in our place, taking our sins, and our sins were laid on him. And it means that Jesus rose from the dead in victory for you. And has purchased resurrection life for you, that even though death comes upon you, your body may lay in the grave for a time, yet there's going to be a resurrection day because Christ rose again for you and of course this is this personalizes faith faith has to be personalized, we call it personal saving faith. It cannot merely be a generality. And so John closes the book, and he calls for this faith that overcomes the world, and it's based upon the very life and person of the Lord Jesus. And when that is your personal conviction, when that's your hope and confidence, it makes you an overcomer over the world. You can kill me, but I'll still be an overcomer. My religion may cause a shortening of my life, but I'll still be an overcomer because the Lord Jesus is the one who did all for me. And this is, therefore, overcoming faith. Now, as you go into verse 1, you'll also notice that this overcoming faith worketh by love. And everyone that loveth him that begat, that's the father, loveth him also that is begotten of God. That's the children, the people of God. Now note that it's everyone. there's no exceptions. Everyone that loveth him, the Father, loveth him also that is begotten, the children of the Father. There's no exception. There's no one who can say, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, I'm born of the Spirit, but I have no interest in the Lord's people. I have no interest in their walk, their battle, their service for the Lord. Everyone, John says, and it always works and should be in every single professing Christian. And of course, this is a great test. People can say, any person can say, I believe the Lord Jesus, I'm converted, I'm saved. They can make all the right statements, but they will want to serve fellowship with the people of God. Now, a Christian truly has God for their father, and thus there will be a bond of love for your spiritual siblings, your family of God. And the church is to be primed by love, driven by love, and Christians are to overcome all the irritations and the hurts of life by this inner operation of the love of God burning within your soul. Now this statement, this heading I've taken here, that faith worketh by love, it's really a text from Paul the Apostle who said, that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And that's the prime mover. That's the motivation. And these are twins. They go together. And there will be a new work of grace and a new work of Of the Spirit within each and every heart. Now, in real terms, this means that every Christian is working for unity in the church, unity with our fellow believers in the Lord Jesus. Would you turn with me to Ephesians 4 and verse 1? Ephesians 4 and verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, to beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And here now is the appeal. It is the Apostles' call to a life of faithful walking and service, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. In the bond of peace. Now, underline the word endeavoring. We don't always achieve it. We don't always win over a brother or a sister that's offended. But we've got to work at it. We've got to endeavor to befriend them, to minister to them, and to be God's messenger to them. And of course, not all of God's people are equal. Not all are the same. Some are easy to love and easy to befriend. But we've got to be willing to serve and to minister even to those that are difficult and to ensure that we uh, encourage them and lift them up and be a helper unto God and to grace. Some people can be very moody. Some people can be hyperactive the kind of the fidgety type that can hardly sit for 5 minutes and be still and then there are other people that are like a sloth uh, and you could hardly motivate them if you tried you would have to put a uh, put a fire to them to get them to move and of course many people live with pain many people live with sorrow many people live with worry doubts and fears And some have not the maturity of others. Some are new in the faith. Some never seem to grow as they should. But the Lord told us that there would be those who would have fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. And there will be Christians that disappoint us. We would have had high hopes. We would have said they've got every advantage in life, a Christian home. They've had or bringing in a Sunday school, the best of teaching and role models, and yet they're just so careless, and we still have to come alongside and minister unto them. And so the church is a rehab center. It's a place for broken lives, broken hearts, and for those that need help. And we have to remember that we've all come out of the slavery of sin. And some stumble, and some are weak, and some feel, and they need to be held up. And that's where the body ministers to one another. The strong are to help the weak. The weak are to be encouraged by those that seem to be living in the power of faith. And of course, we all fall very far short of perfection and were to be in the business of restoring. The Apostle Paul called himself a nurse. That was his heart. He was obviously a mature man. He was a man who was bold, fiery, and had the truth burning in his heart. But there were many that he ministered to that were, like the Corinthians, unable to receive strong meat. They were still on the milk. And we need that pastor's heart. We need that caring spirit. Remember the story of John, how that young man that fell away from the church, how he learned of him, and he got a horse and a guide, and he rode up into the mountains. He sought out that robber's den. He had the sentinels take them to their leader, and he saw that young man walk away from John and said, John, John said, why do you fear me, an old man? And he pleaded with that young man to give up his life of sin and of prodigality. And he brought him back personally, ministered to him, and sought to rebuild a life. That's the heart of the Apostle John. And of course, our Lord Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. That's the proof, because you have a heart that cares and ministers to the needy. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher and calling all Canadians back to the. In Canada, a person cannot be legally charged and tried twice for committing the one crime. This is the law of no double jeopardy. So, when a person has paid for this crime, whether it be a fine or prison sentence, once that penalty is served, there is no more charge against him. Did you know that in the Bible, God gave that assurance in the worst of sinners who had offended him? In Ezekiel chapter 18, God firstly let it out that a son or daughter is not guilty of a father or her sins. Each person bears the guilt of their own deeds. Here's the text in Ezekiel 20 verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Did you get that? The crime committed by a parent is not chargeable against a son or daughter. That surely is a good thing. There wouldn't be enough jails to house all the families whose parents have been sent to jail for their own crimes." What this means, though, is that each one is personally responsible for his or her own sin. We are Canadians, and we are citizens of this country, but we do not bear the guilt and condemnation of others who live wickedly before God and men. Everyone shall bear his own iniquity. But it does mean that we will give account for our own crimes before men and before God. God says, in the same chapter of ezekiel verse 26 for his iniquity that he hath done shall he die that should make us all sit up we will answer to the sins we ourselves commit we are personally accountable to god for our very thoughts words and deeds the lord jesus said so in matthew 12:36 he said but i say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. But in this same chapter in Ezekiel, there is the good news for all who see their guilt, confess their wrongdoing, and turn away from it. Hear the words of verse 28. Because he considereth and turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. God will judge, but he will also forgive. He says that he delights in mercy. In the final verse of the chapter, God said, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. This is our God. He hates sin. He will always judge sin, but he also delights in mercy. He will pardon us when we repent and turn to him. This is the God of the gospel. This is the God who sent his son to Calvary to take our sins in his own body as our substitute. The gospel is the good news that God gives sinners repentance over their horrible sins. He gives them faith in the cross work of his son and pardons sinners from all their sin. Then there is the icing on the cake, if you will, There is the law of no more mention. When God forgives, there is no digging up the past. There is no double jeopardy. Hear the Lord's word in Ezekiel 18.22. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. When God forgives, he truly forgets. He casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, forgiven and forgotten, that so the pardoned soul can sing, My sins are gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. My, My soul is free, and in my heart is a song, buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally. Praise God, my sins are gone. Let me invite you to put your faith in Lord Jesus. Let me invite you to confess all your sins, putting them under the cleansing blood of Jesus. And God promises that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John, you can go to that verse, pray over it, cry to God that he will be faithful and he is faithful. He will forgive. May the Lord in mercy and mercy. save your soul.
1: This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website, you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There, you can find a link to our Sunday services. That are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10:30 am and 6 pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7:30 pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children. An adult Bible class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number, which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today and be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5am and 5pm and on Sundays at 9.30am on this station for full or church service. We worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.